Hello, Boyd. Thank you for joining me. You're consuming episode 3 of the Nerdislav podcast. My name is John Paul Hoss and I will be your guide for the foreseeable future. Today, we will be talking about some interesting gaming topics, mostly about Magic the Gathering and some board games that I have noticed are coming up on Kickstarter. I will also be mentioning a little bit about some drawn stuff that I've read this week and I want to desperately share with you. And finally, we will wrap with some interesting news and happenings from the cycling world and the world of pro wrestling. So without further ado, here we go. Let's start with gaming then. I mentioned last week that I was really interested in the new Commander 2018 product that Wizards of the Coast have been preparing to put out. But I was rather disappointed, and I wasn't the only one really, the internet seemed to have been disappointed as well with the unfortunate quality of these new decks. Apparently, they just don't run as well as the past decks have. The power level of them is just not quite as good. The reprints, the quality of the reprints specifically, is not matching up with the quality of the past product. Just overall rather disappointing, but it does seem that uh, the one deck that I was particularly interested in, the Sahili Rai, Izet or Red Blue Artifact deck, seems to be doing relatively well in terms of power ranking, at least according to MTG Goldfish. They have been ranking it pretty well, and that gives me at least a feeling that I know, at least I have a feeling about what good decks look like. Still, it's not the best. It still lacks some of that power level and would need a little bit more of upgrading to be slightly more consistent. And that for a product that's already costing $40 and you need to invest another 10, 15, 20 dollars into buying singles just to make the commander deck a little more consistent, you may be better off in investing in a new, just brand new commander deck built from scratch. And especially given that we have so many good red, blue, legendary creatures, there is a lot to work with. There is a lot of interesting variation, interesting flavor to draw upon. I already mentioned that I have my Melek is a deck, which works with top reveal card and all sorts of shenanigans there. But you can also create decks around the Niv-Mizzet dragon cards. You can work with cards from the latest Dominera expansion. It's just so much to use, so it's a little bit disappointing. Wizards really could have taken the commander decks and made them just slightly more powerful, especially if we are getting a $5 price increase. As I mentioned last week, it's not much, but still, it is enough to wonder, okay, where did this extra money on the product went to? Are we getting $5 more of value here? And I am not exactly sure that is the case. Now, on Twitter, I already mentioned that I will talk about it, so I might as well. I want to mention a few things about Magic Arena, the new online virtual Magic the Gathering environment. I was selected to be in the closed beta a few months ago, and I played, and then I got a little tired of it because the game was a little jank. There was not much to do, not much to play, just basically simple constructed. And in fact, at first, it was just one block constructed. 
that limited the variety of cards, limited the variety of play, got, uh, the meta got solved really quickly. But over the months, as they were adding more and more cards, more and more blocks from the current standard environment, the game's actually getting better. We see a lot of the standard play and standard, I mean, as a format play transpire in the constructed. We see pretty nice draft implementation. So there is a lot to enjoy. There is a lot to love in terms of the gameplay. The gameplay is nice and snappy and so, so much better in terms of interface and ease of use than Magic Online. There is just no discussion about it. Magic Online, despite being better in terms of the availability of cards, Magic Arena is just better in terms of interface and ease of play and understanding of what is going on. Unfortunately, there is a little bit of issue that I have with the Magic Arena as it currently stands. And here are the things that I don't particularly enjoy. First, I think the randomization in terms of card draws is slightly off in some ways. I would not have had the same experience playing in, in Magic Online before where a similar deck with similar land to card ratio would so consistently end up being either mana starved or mana flooded. This was very interesting to me in terms of playing a game where I know that I have the appropriate mana ratio and I just end up mana starved. Okay, fine, great, happens. Next game, mana flooded. Okay, fine, happens. Next game, mana start again. And it's very interesting, and I wonder if there is something going on behind the scenes that makes the system still, you know, process things slightly differently, or whether it's just bad luck, or, you know, could be bad deck building, but I don't think so. I think there needs to be some tweaking in terms of the randomization, because I just can't explain how is it possible to be so consistently either under the required amount of mana or over it. That never happened in Magic Online to me, at least not in such with such a consistency and with a deck that I think should work at least better than it did. The other problem that I currently have is with the matchmaking. The matchmaking doesn't seem to work particularly well in terms of just like quick play. It doesn't seem to consistently match you with players who are of equal skill. I have had repeated instances of being matched with someone who was far, far better, had far better cards, had far better win-loss ratio than I had. And this was very surprising to me because I thought that that's something that they would have sorted out right away. Similarly, being paired with someone who is on lower end of the spectrum, so being paired against someone who has worse cards isn't necessarily fun for anyone either. What, what fun there is if you just steamroll your opponent. It's not necessarily fun. It's the same way if you win because your opponent got mana starved and couldn't play for three turns and then they just scoop out the cards because they get so far behind. So this is absolutely something that Wizards should fix before they release the full version of the game. I mean, right now it is still in beta, so I expect glitches, I expect things not working out. Plenty of time to fix things, though. Now, 
Another thing that I would say really needs a second set of eyes is the monetization. Right now, I would say that the monetization really, really sucks. I don't like the two currencies, one currency being the gold, the other being the gems, the way that there is no easy kind of conversion ratio between gold and money and gems, that you, if you buy gems, you don't get the exact amounts of gems that you need to purchase the amounts of packs that you need. It's just not easy to enjoy a game that is so obviously trying to nickel and dime you, even in beta. Uh, the amount of money that you would need to spend to build decks of reasonable quality just doesn't compute with me. I would not want to spend uh, the kind of money that the game would probably expect me to. So I would say as few improvements in the beta, definitely screw the two currencies, right? Um, reshuffle it into one currency the same way other mainstream online trading card game, Pokemon TCGO does it. There is just gold and tickets, easy to understand, no confusion there, tickets just used to enter tournaments, simple. I would also say that they should consider adding few more formats right off the bat. They can easily include something like a theme deck league. They have plenty of theme decks that you get just by loading the game and creating an account. So why not? Why not use that kind of experience to just have the players play against each other using decks that are roughly same power level? Again, look at Pokemon TCGO. They let you purchase either online or in physical copy, and I'll get to that in a moment, they let you purchase these pre-constructed decks and then pit them against each other in the game. And that's awesome. You can compete for prizes, you can have fun, and you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time either net decking or trying to come up with a deck from the limited supply of cards that you already have. That, I think, would be a great idea. Of course, with the Brawl, which is kind of a standard format commander, I would expect this be incorporated in the game already. It is not, and I'm confused as to why. It's easy to do. I wouldn't imagine there being that many difficulties to implement that, and you have the cards necessary, and I'm sure people would appreciate either one-on-one -on -one or even a multiplayer game of Brawl using Magic Arena. Surprised they haven't done it yet, but I would expect that it will be coming relatively soon. So the last suggestion that I would make, and again, you know, being such a nice example of online TCG, Pokemon TCGO serves as a great example, include codes in your printed product for Magic Arena. Why not? It makes perfect sense. You want people to buy your printed product. You want your players to get invested in Magic Arena. This is a perfect way to do it. If someone buys a Planeswalker deck or, rest in peace, the former dual decks, have them activate the same products online with codes. You buy a deck of cards, then you get this little code, 
you enter the code in Magic Arena and bam, you get the deck, you get the deck box, you maybe get a coin, something to justify your engagement in both physical and digital version of your card game. And the same way, you know, you can stimulate people who would normally play just online to say, oh, I'm going to go to my local game store and I'm going going to buy a few boosters just so I get access to a few boosters online. And once you get these people in the door, you can start incorporating them in the world of the physical card game. And I think it makes perfect sense. I would imagine Wizards will eventually do this, but I'm slightly worried that they will go the way of nickel diming as Wizards have the tendency to do and somehow screw this up. I don't want them to. I really hope that they will do a good job, but somehow I feel that they will indeed mess up. Now, I have been praising Pokemon TCGO in a few past minutes. I will still say that even TCGO is not perfect. And I have a personal anecdote to back this claim up. And it's a little bit silly. And in the grand scheme of things, really what matters is the quality of the game and not the quality of the customer service. But I tried to change some things about my Pokemon TCGO account. I wanted to change my username, change my nickname. And apparently I can't do that. So silly little me, I go and I submit a support ticket. I'm trying to figure out how can I change my ID information there. And I get this kind of dismissive answer from this person who works as customer service official in Pokemon TCGO. And they say, well, you can't do this. Once the system has approved it, it's approved and you can't change it. And I'm sitting there thinking, why? Why won't you let me do this? What's the point of not letting your players change their usernames, change their addresses, change their personal names? What if, heavens forbid, a female player gets married and wants to change her last name? She can't do this anymore. She has to go through this whole, or he really, has to go through this whole program of sending information to the Pokemon TCGO representatives do they need to provide their marriage license their marriage certificate i think it's really silly and just this desire to stick to oh you chose one thing five ten years ago so you're stuck with it now that's just dumb and i do hope that magic arena will let its players at least change the screen names if not kind of the back end of the account because really not allowing that sounds really rather silly to me. So let's start talking about board games next. And this is cute little tiny news, pun intended as you'll see in a moment, that I ran across earlier in the week. Apparently, Tiny Epic Max game is happening. And if you're not familiar with Tiny Epic series of board games, it's a kind of a franchise or a series of games by Gamelin, which takes usually these bigger sized Euro games, worker placements, stuff like that, and they distill it to really small portable fashion. Tiny Epic Galaxies, Tiny Epic Kingdom, Tiny Epic Quest are their biggest, most popular games, I would say. And they are a lot of fun. 
So when I read that they are preparing to launch Tiny Epic Max sometimes in September, I was really excited, and I'm still really excited. I love Macs. I love Mac-based games. Um, and so being able to play in the Tiny Epic universe in with the inclusion of item meeples, so meeples that you can actually attach little item attachments to, and you can change their cap capabilities, the capabilities of the meeples, given the kinds of attachments like shields, swords, guns. I think that's going to be awesome. I hope that the game actually is really good. So far, Gamelin has produced pretty good games, and so I have high hopes. We'll see, and I'll keep you posted about how the Kickstarter is going if I've decided to sh throw some money at it, if it's even a good deal. Because we are talking about you know, Kickstarters, if you back something, it should be a good deal. And I am less concerned about back backing board games than computer games these days, and I would say that I will not back computer games again, just based on the experience that people have been having with things like Pathfinder Kingmaker. That would be just my general inclination, given the fact that Old Cat Games is still kind of quiet. They've released another update lately, but nothing to address the concerns of the backers relating their early update about DLCs. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. Now, my final topic about gaming for the day revolves around the Witcher tabletop game. Yeah, I'm, I was surprised myself to find out that there is, in fact, a Witcher tabletop experience. That's something that I didn't know was in the works, so when I learned about its existence, I was really excited. I love the Witcher universe. I got into it before the games were actually released, even before the first game was released. I've read the books way back when. And so I'm really excited and I would love to play a game in the Witcher universe as a tabletop experience. However, the problem is that sometimes it's hard to convince groups to adopt a new gaming system, a new rule set. I know that all too well when I tried to suggest a few years ago to my group to try and play the Titan's Grave Fantasy Age um, system and people were like oh we don't use d20s here oh i don't want to play this i don't know i don't think it would be fun enough for me and so just this kind of dismissal of oh this is a new system it doesn't use the same rules is a little frustrating but i think witcher has a natural affinity the witcher universe has a natural affinity for tabletop i think it lends itself really well the dark fantasy setting really opens up many different opportunities for role play and I hope I will once get a chance to play. I would love to play like a bard in this universe and just be this crazy character or you know playing a witcher or you know any sort of character that the game lets you play and the game has quite wide supply of different races and classes so there is a lot of player choice even in this base product so i'm really really excited to find out that this has been in fact happening so with that said let me move on next to some of the drone stuff my 
new book of Usagi Yojimbo, book 31, has finally arrived. Apparently, I accidentally ordered it from England, so it took like two weeks to get to me, but it got to me fine. Book itself, little bit of shelfware, but I don't really care. It wasn't drawn all over, it didn't have like massive scuff marks. The insides were crisp and clean, so I was really happy. So the title of this book is called The Hell Screen. And the hell screen or the titular story is really the highlight. The other stories that are included in this book are okay, but they are just there to pad up the pages to me almost. And don't get me wrong, I love Usagi Yojimbo, so I will read it anyway, I will have a good time. But really, I think the hell screen story is where the value of the 31st volume really lies. It marks a return of Inspector Ishida, who is a great character, and I think there is a really interesting contrast between Ishida and Usagi in terms of the way they think about solving this mystery of the hell screen. I think I will really enjoy reading more of these stories, as I already mentioned. I love this universe, and I can't wait for book 32, just have to wait for a while before I can master enough spare cash to order it. So yeah, I think if you haven't read anything from Stan Sakai, anything in terms of the Usagi Ojimbo universe, give it a shot. Pick up a book, if it's on a discount, take it out of a library, try it out. You might be pleasantly surprised with how much you enjoy that book. I definitely need more of it. I need more of this content. I can't wait to get my paws on the next chapter in Usagi's adventure. It's amazing that Stan Sakai still has so many interesting stories to tell to his audience. I think the art and the storytelling just blend so nicely together. Well, well recommended from me right here. Let us wrap up today, and I think it's going to be a little bit shorter podcast. Let's wrap up with some sporty stuff. Cycling, despite Tour de France wrapping up, has not wrapped up altogether at all. In fact, just yesterday, I'm recording this on Sunday, so on Saturday we had the Classica San Sebastian, a one-day race in Spain, which was really interesting in terms of the names we got in the starting list. We got so many names from the Tour de France top 10 showing up at this race, NL Jumbo brought both Kruiswijk and Primoz Roglic. How is that possible? These guys should be completely wiped out after racing for three weeks in the grueling conditions of Tour de France. And yet, they are still there. Admittedly, it is only one day race, so maybe that's okay. But hey, it was like 230 kilometers. It was not a particularly easy parkour. I was impressed to see the names that showed up for this race and surprise surprise Julian Alaphilippe wins this quick step Frenchman has some serious legs after doing great at Tour de France and securing the Polkadot jersey he comes to Classica San Sebastian and he wins it I was laughing when I read his post-race interview where he said well I didn't really feel well I felt tired you know racing Tour de France and all but my team has really pushed me to victory. I'm like, yeah, well, you just killed it. You really did great. Now, I wish, though, that 
all was so positive about this San Sebastian race. Unfortunately, it was about 20 kilometers before the end of the race, before the finish line, there was a mass bunch crash, which sent some of the top riders straight to hospital. Egan Bernal for Team Sky ended up with pretty nasty facial fractures, and I hope he'll be in shape to compete at the Worlds this year, but I worry because based on the news that are coming out, it's not particularly pleasant. Similarly, Mikel Landa for Movistar. Yeah, Movistar sent out Landa and Valverde, by the way. Crazy. Landa, uh, Landa has a broken vertebra, so he is out for at least three weeks, so he will most definitely miss Vuelta. Hopefully he'll be in shape to compete at the Worlds. It would be nice. Just the more amazing competition there is at the Worlds, the better. But yeah, really bittersweet race, I think. Fun race to watch, but sad to see so many quality competitors crash out. At the same time, we are also watching the start of week-long Tour of Poland. It's one of those week-long races like Dauphiné or the Swiss race, the around Switzerland race, I should say. And it's interesting that this race does not have that many big names, right? You see names like Kwiatkowski for Team Sky, which is impressive. Again, he has raced Tour de France. He worked really hard there for his teammates. Now he is the so, sort of leader for his team in Poland hopes probably to secure the win this time. The win has been eluding him a little bit, and I think he has pretty good chance just given the amount of competition he does have, or I should say does not have. So Kwiatkowski is one of the bigger names. Then Michelton Scott does field Simon Yates and Roman Kreuziger, so those two gentlemen should be able to challenge for top 10, I would say, definitely Simon Yates, I think Kreuziger's there just as a super domestique, but you never know, sometimes, as we've seen this year at Tour, super domestiques can overtake the leader and become the winners, and FDG sent out Thibaut Pinot, but that's it, really, not that many big names showing up at this race, which I guess makes sense, it's not one of the top races, it's a week after Tour de France, but one would expect that even the folks who are resting after Giro and missed out on Tour de France will use these shorter stage races to build up their form before Vuelta, which is in about three weeks. One interesting point, though, that I would mention about Tour of Poland is the fact that both BMC and CCC are there. So BMC and CCC are both cycling teams, and BMC, of course, is folding on its own after the end of the season because of the death of its owner slash sponsor. And the agreement was between BMC and uh, CCC, which is a Polish team, that they will kind of merge, right? So it is really interesting to see these two teams competing in the same race, and I wonder if people from... BMC will try their best to really hit it out of the park and try and really crush or defeat CCC to show, hey, you know, our riders have value. 
we want to maintain the BMC spirit in our new team, whatever the name of that team is going to be. So it's going to be definitely interesting to keep an eye out for what is going to happen during this race between these two teams. And finally, I want to talk a little bit about wrestling again, just because it's fun, right? And JPW is progressing with G1. G1's checking along pretty nicely. There have been a few really cool and really fun matches this past week. The few that I would really want to highlight involve my favorite people in NJPW, Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. And especially Ibushi versus Naito and Omega versus Ishii and, and also Ishii versus Ibushi were just really, really good. I was a little upset to see Omega lose to Ishii with that really gruesome finish. There was blood, there was some craziness also with the pin, some controversy with Omega getting his shoulder up before the free count and still losing. So interesting storytelling there. And of course, Ishii and his strong style just kills it, right? But I wish to see a lot more of this feud developing because it seems like Ishii really hates both Omega and Ibushi. Otherwise, he wouldn't really beat the ever-living snot out of them so badly or wouldn't be scripted to, I guess. So it was really, really nice to see NJPW progress its product so well. I mean, I really wasn't aware of NJPW's existence until about a year ago, maybe. And now I just can't get enough. It's great. I am so, so impressed. Next, I want to mention just how amazing Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks are. Not only are they putting out basically an indie WrestleMania with All In, they are also paying attention to their fans and their fans' monetary struggles. I've seen a Twitter post chain where one of the fans basically said, hey guys, I love you so much. I bought a ticket to support your adventures here in promoting indie wrestling, but I cannot arrive. I cannot make it to the show. I cannot afford the costs of the travel and the lodging in Chicago. It's just not affordable for me. And instead of ignoring this message, as most celebrities probably would, Cody is like, tell me what's your PayPal contact information. Me and Young Bucks are going to send you something. And they did. They basically, I guess, paid for his travel, for this fan's travel. And that's just so amazing. I can't imagine how great that fan must have felt. That fan must have felt like the world's just luckiest guy because these big stars, these people that he so much admires and supports are backing him up. They are giving him this additional support to make it to their show and to meet them. And I think... That's so amazing, something that you don't really see with the main roster shows like WWE, SmackDown and Raw. I can't imagine much of that happening just because of such tight corporate control. And this, I think, is the beauty of the indies, just that connection that the fans and the wrestlers have, that we all buy into this crazy world of pro wrestling 
where we think that those wins and losses, that everything was happening in the ring is real. And it is in some way, but we know it's scripted. Everyone in the indie world probably knows this, yet we still have mad respect for each other fans, have mad respect for the performers, the performers appreciate the fans. That is awesome. Let's wrap up with some WWE discussion. And I just have to ask the same question that Brock Lesnar kind of asked during Monday Night Raw. Why should I friggin' watch the show? There is no point, at least not with Raw anymore. Just the cyclic nature of the storytelling in the main brand shows is baffling to me. I do have to say that I appreciate Samoa Joe a lot. He has got a great, great promo on Tuesday on AJ Styles, and it's really not surprising. Like If you look at Samoa Joe and you hear him talk, you fear the man. You listen what he has to say, and he was this good already back in TNA. Back in TNA, AJ and Joe had so many great matches where they shifted both from face to heel and vice versa. So I hope that they will do a really good job at SummerSlam between these two guys and that we won't experience the same situation we did with Shinsuke Nakamura, where we thought we're going to get this great match between AJ and Shinsuke and it just kind of fizzled out. I really hope that this won't happen to AJ versus Samoa Joe. That would be just so sad. Lucha Underground, just a quick final note. I've been watching a few more episodes and I am kind of starting to feel a little bit meh about some things that are happening. Number one, they just brought Mil Muertes back and they are having him fight against Phoenix again. And I'm just like, why? So what was the point of everything? The storytelling is kind of all over the place in that feud. I just hope they will sort it out before the final match in this feud, but I am a little concerned. I also am a little upset about the way they overplay Chavo Guerrero's kind of two-facedness and the way he betrays people, just like back and forth, back and forth, a little bit over the top. I would expect something a little more devious than just, yep, I flipped the sides on the whim. It's almost like the face slash heel turn of the big show in WWE. It's just really crazy to understand what's going on with Chavo. So just a little bit disappointing. And also... Did I just witness a murder in live television, sort of? Like, a guy apparently gets ripped to shreds by this unseen monster. You see other people being covered in blood and gore, and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, what the heck, what's going on? What have I just watched? What have I just witnessed, right? I mean, okay, let's keep building the story up, but... That was something kind of crazy, especially if you have this theme of three dudes who are supposed to be like partners and the two just like willingly sacrifice one of their one of their friends to this monster. I'm not exactly sure what was going on there and 
getting a little little burned out there just because whatever's happening is not necessarily the most fun. That's about it for today. A little bit of a shorter podcast, as I mentioned. I think pushing it onto the hour is not really reasonable, so we're going to stick around those 30 to 40 minutes. So all that's left to say now is cheers, Void, and I will talk to you again soon.